This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Takes it. Back to pass. What's coming? In the end zone throws. Got it. Touchdown. Penn State. Jawan Johnson and the Lindy Lions at the wire win it. Back on the pod, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. This is Play by Playcast. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe and or download and giving us a listen, giving us a rate or a review if you get an opportunity to as well. We had a couple new ones pop up over the last couple of weeks. So thank you if you took the time on iTunes to throw a couple of stars our way or, or leave a quick little message about um, your enjoyment or lack thereof of the podcast. Our guest today is Steve Jones. He's the voice of the Penn State University Nittany Lions. And you heard his call right off the top there of the game-winning touchdown against Iowa now, I guess, two weeks ago. Uh, we did this interview uh, at the end of the week last week, so it was fresh off Penn State's Iowa victory at the Horn and we will dive into uh, that moment and that call and kind of keeping yourself settled in those moments with Steve Jones off the top here. Uh, before we get into that, I had uh, a flip side experience of that broadcasting um, just this past week for Ball State football. The Cardinals went on the road and took on the Western Michigan University Broncos. And of course, if you're a college football fan, you're aware of uh, Western Michigan and P.J. Fleck and Row the Boat and the Cotton Bowl from a year ago. And obviously now, a year later, P.J. Fleck has moved on. He's the head coach at Minnesota. He took Row the Boat with him. Corey Davis went to the NFL. The quarterback at Western Michigan, a, a young man by the name of Zach Terrell, graduated. However, Western Michigan is still pretty darn good. Curb Your Enthusiasm is, uh, is back, so pretty, pretty, pretty darn good. But... um. Ball State walked into a buzzsaw with a couple of NFL running backs on that team still in a very veteran offensive line and fell in a 55-3 to ball game. And the one thing that I kept thinking in my brain, because it happened pretty quickly, the opening kickoff of the game, Ball State fumbled on one of the crazier plays I've ever seen. Ball State had uh, the ball basically punched out of our uh, ball carrier's arms straight up into the sky and in stride, one of the gunners running downfield for Western Michigan caught it and ran it back into the touch into the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, so literally 10 seconds in, it was 7 nothing, and then very quickly it was 14 nothing, and then 21 nothing, and then 28 nothing, and this, it, it avalanched fast. But I kept thinking in my mind, as I, as I was getting upset internally, like, when is this going to end? Why can't something go right for, for, for my team, for our team? Um, because literally everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong Cardinals tried an onside kick and it got fair caught I've never seen that before in my life Um, so literally everything you could have thought of went wrong and every time I had this twinge of disappointment in my voice or in my mind the thought I kept having and I've never really had this happen before Uh, maybe I should have but I've never really had it happen to this degree I kept thinking keep keep being entertaining keep being interesting and make sure you continue to give people a reason to listen. And 
I'm sure that's always happened. There's the stove sound effects in full swing today. Uh, I'm sure it's happened subconsciously throughout my career and everybody's career. Um, But we all have the tendency when you get into a blowout, you get down because you're invested in your team. And obviously that challenges us all as broadcasters. How much preparation have we done? How do we then put it to use? How do we weave stories within action? Um, But the thing I just kept thinking about was stay on it, keep this thing interesting, and keep yourself locked in. And I actually think of all the blowout games I've called in either direction, personally, I thought it was one of the better ones that I had done um, for maybe that very reason. And it was just that continued focus, that continued locked in um, nature and not, you know, players always talk about something goes wrong next play. And as broadcasters, you know, you, if you misstep a word, you know, next, next word, next play, whatever, um, I kind of found myself having that mentality on Saturday, you know, whatever next play, regardless of what happens, don't let that affect you uh, up in the booth and, and keep things interesting and keep things entertaining. And I uh, thought it worked out. I thought it went well. So just one of those things where I figured I'd share uh, an experience from this past week's broadcasting uh, travails. And uh, hopefully that'll help at least one person out there. If not, uh, point and laugh at me, uh, if you wish. <laughs> In the meantime, let's get to today's guest. And uh, he has been on the uh, side of some blowouts this year because his Penn State Nittany Lions are off to a phenomenal start, uh, including that um, heart-wrenching, nail-biting, panic-attack-inducing game against the Iowa Hawkeyes. But Steve Jones has been in State College uh, his entire professional life. He went to Penn State University, graduated from Penn State University, has worked in State College, has worked... Um, in a variety of different roles for a variety of different people and stations and networks and uh, for Penn State in a couple different capacities. And he does minor league baseball with the State College Spikes, who are a Cardinals affiliate. They used to be a Pittsburgh Pirates affiliate when I was in the Pirates organization. Um, he was just named New York Penn League Broadcaster of the Year this year, by the way, Steve Jones. Uh, But he does so many different things, and he hosts a talk show, too. Um, But for the better part of almost two decades now, he has been the complete voice of Penn State athletics between men's basketball and football. And he's also just got a tremendous approach and a tremendous outlook and uh, tremendous preparation habits and a lot of the kind of wonky stuff that we really enjoy on this podcast. So uh, with the entree of... uh, me trying to stay locked in and, and deal with only the things I could control uh, in, in my broadcast last week, I bring you this following conversation with the Penn State University voice, Steve Jones, about things you can and can't control in broadcasting, about not being afraid to work with people that make you better. Uh, we'll dive into uh, what it's like calling big moments with the Nittany Lions, what it's like broadcasting at Beaver Stadium with 100,000 people bouncing around. Uh, we'll talk about Joe Paterno. Uh, We'll talk about being the face and voice of the Nittany Lions during everything that happened in State College. And then we do talk about Joe Paterno from a professional standpoint, too, uh, and what it was like working with him, everything that has come out um, around and since. uh, Aside, I I always like to talk to to people that have worked with legendary coaches about um, what it's like to work with them as broadcasters and professionally. So we'll dive into all of that and much more with Steve Jones on this week's episode of Play by Playcast. 
Takes it. Back to pass. Blitz coming. In the end zone. Throws. Got it. Touchdown. Penn State. Jawan Johnson and the Nittany Lions at the wire win it. Well, you want to set it up right. So I wanted to, you know, it was a fourth down play. So, you know, you want to tell everybody right off the top, hey, look, this is it. It's, so it's win it or lose it right here. But then you also want to keep the basics in play as to what you're doing. You still want to paint a picture. So, you know, I described where the receivers were, how tight the formation was, where Barkley was. Then McSorley walked up to the line of scrimmage, and I mentioned he walked up to the line of scrimmage. He was changing the, the protection up front. And, you know, then I mentioned he dropped back. So you're trying to at least continue to do play-by-play throughout all of it. And... Then you know when the, the ball snaps, you're just you're calling it like any other play, except you know that this is the ball game, and you want to do it in such a way where you're conveying excitement, but you're also conveying exactly what happened. And you know that way, somebody who's driving in the car can't see what's going on, can picture in their own mind what happened, and also the drama of the moment. So you try to do all of that. And, you know, it, it, there's no script for it. Uh, anybody who thinks that they can script endings and so forth and come up with the perfect thing to say is uh, they're kidding themselves because this is very much, with all preparation, an ad-lib business. So you have to ad-lib. So if it happens to be a great call and a great moment, fabulous. If you happen to botch it up <laughs> at, the great, at the great moment in your ad-lib moment, they're still all happy that, the, that he caught the ball more, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> How uh, t- t- what's your mindset like? I mean, what's your what's your heartbeat like? How do you how do you remain calm in the moment to treat it like any other moment? Well, I've done it so many times now. That's what really happens. The experience makes a big difference in this business, where you've had game winning moments before, uh, whether it be a triple overtime Orange Bowl. Uh, against Florida State, whether it happens to be the final kick of the Rose Bowl, whether it happens to be Saquon Barkley scoring in overtime against Minnesota, uh, Bill Belton scoring in the fourth overtime to win the game against Michigan. You know, you've had a lot of game winners along the way if you've had a long career. So at that point, you do understand, hey, how do I handle a particular moment? Why do I want to say it this way? How do I want to convey that? Each one's a little bit different, but you always rely on the experience you've always had. I think that's what really helps. You know, game winners in basketball, final shots of the game, both pro and con. I mean, it's not like I've done games where Penn State's won all of them. There have been games where Penn State's lost. I mean, they lost in the last play of the game in 2005 to Michigan when Chad Henney hit Mario Manningham for a touchdown. Well, you have to be able to do it professionally and, and take care of business regardless of the moment. Let's go back, uh, I guess, bigger picture now, and I guess back in time a little bit further. Uh, give me the, the basis of how you – how did you get good at this? And I know that's kind of a wide-ranging question. Um, but when you, you dove into this and you went to Penn State and you decided you were going to undertake this as a career, um, how, did you, how did you get good? How'd you get good? What did you do? Um, and what was your career like to get you to a point where you felt like, um, hey, I'm a guy that can and should be the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions? Well, I have great mentors that you that I listened to along the way. There was a point in 1983 where I became the third guy on the Penn State Network. So I was the pregame, postgame halftime host, you know, scores a lot of games, do the pregame show with Joe, do the postgame interview with Joe Paterno. And I worked alongside a guy named Gil Santos, 
who for 40 years was the play-by-play voice of the New England Patriots. Well, he was the play-by-play voice of Penn State football for four years. And it was like being in a living play-by-play classroom. And at the same time, I was also doing high school play-by-play. And Gil would say to me, hey, I want to listen to your tapes. I mean, I was listening to little games. I was driving to the hotel. You know, I said, I want to listen to your tapes. And he'd, he'd point out, I really like that. I really like that. And maybe you can tweak that. Or you can tweak that. No, I really like that. You know, so you do things to build your confidence. So for me, he was a major influence on, on what I was able to do as a play-by-play announcer because I felt like I was learning at the feet of the best by, A, listening to him every game for four years, and then, B, him taking my high school takes and saying, you know, check mark that, check mark that, tweak that, check mark that. And I think that made a big difference uh, as to what I was able to do. And the other part is you have to get out there and just do games. I don't care whether you're doing high school games or college games. As long as you're doing games, the game then really slows down for you. Because when you first get into this, the game probably feels the most people now like it's going a thousand miles an hour. Then after you've done a lot of games, football, basketball, whatever it happens to be, the game slows down just like it does for a player. And I think that makes a big difference. I could ask this for any variety of number of sports, but since we're at football, we'll start there. Um, what makes good football on the radio? Yeah, the well, see, a couple things. You have to have a great analyst. And I've got a great analyst. Uh, my parents always told me early in life, never be afraid to work with somebody that makes you better, ever. And regardless, pro or con, what people think of the work I've done over the years, I can assure you it's not just the season and not just the game, but every single play Jack Cam makes me better, and he makes the broadcast better because he's able to see things. Good radio play-by-play to me paints pictures. Uh, you know, what yard line? All right, and the near hash or the far hash? What's the down and distance? Uh, where are the receivers? You know, where's the running back? How many down linemen are there defensively? You can get all that in, and you can do it probably in less than 20 words, believe it or not. And then describing the play. Where's the ball? Okay? You're always trying to tell everybody, where is the ball? Where's the ball caught? Here's near side, far side, what yard line? These are the first down. It's a third and one. So I think that's what makes good play-by-play is the ability to paint a picture where you know at all times where the ball is and then having an analyst that tells you exactly why it happened or why it didn't happen. Yeah, we talk about that a little bit. Uh, what, makes you, what makes an analyst great and what makes, it, what makes you better by working with people that you've worked with that, that you feel like do their job really well? Well, okay. Well, to me, I'll tell you exactly what I think makes an analyst great. When the game is over, did you learn more about the guy? So when the game is over as a listener, did you or a viewer on TV, did you learn more about the game because of the analyst? Jack Cam does that every single time. How does an analyst make a play-by-play person better? One of the keys to doing this job is, is not just the speaking part, but it's the listening part. You have to be a really good listener. So as you're doing this interview right now, you're listening to my answer and you you may have the next question ready, but I may say something here that then triggers three or four questions because you're a good listener. When you're doing a broadcast with somebody like a Jack Hammer or basketball like Dick Girardi, when they say something and they see something, it can change the entire tone of what the, what's happening on the broadcast. Where now, you know, Jack sees something and now I pick up on that and then we start talking about it in subsequent plays 
as to whether that trend or that key is playing out. And that's why an analyst, you know, can really make such a difference, not only in the game, but in the broadcast itself and to the play-by-play person, as long as the play-by-play person is listening. How much of that falls on you um, to some degree in terms of bringing it out of an analyst and bringing it out of the person you're working with? Um, or is it more just give them the room to shine and then be able to play off of that? I think you have to give them room. I think you have to give them room. I am not, I've never been a person that says, hey, look, the ball's being snapped. I need to have it now. Um, about 20 years ago, Jack and I were doing a, a Penn State pit game. And it was the first year we were working together. So it was like the fourth game we've been working. And in the first half, he's rushing, he's rushing, he's rushing. And it's the only time we ever talked about the broadcast ever. And I pulled him aside at halftime. I said, can I talk to you for a second? He says, yeah. I said, why are you rushing so much? He says, well, I just want to make sure you get it back. I said, Jack, I could care less. I said, if if you're done with a point and they're still in the huddle, I'll say more to set things up. I said, if you make a point and it carries into the next play, I'll just pick it up where it is. I said, everybody needs to hear what you have to say, and then I said, and then I'll take it from there. All right, there'll be times where I'll see something and I'll ask him a question, you know, so lead him into something because it's something I observed along the way. But I want the analyst to have free reign to talk along the way, and it doesn't have to be, okay, they're going to snap the ball, I need it. Well, back with that. You know, I feel that the analyst is an incredible difference maker in all this, especially the people I work with. So I want to have allow them to have all the room in the world to work with. Anyway, and and the two guys I work with are so smart; they really know how to get in and out for the most part. Every once in a while, a point will go go into a play. So what? You just pick it up from there and go. You just you have to be out there at all times, having each other's backs always, you know? and you have to be out there as a team. Uh, so it's, you know, while there's a team in the field, there's a team in the booth. And you want to make sure the team in the booth is always functioning in such a way where, you know, hey, all egos are checked in here at the door. Jack has no ego anyway. And you just, you just go from there. I want to ask about the quote that your parents gave you, the never be afraid to work with somebody who makes you better. Um, yeah. What is the difference in terms of never being afraid to work with somebody who makes you better versus having the fear of, working with somebody who makes you better um, and where that can hinder you? Well, it can hinder you because if you want to always be, quote, if you want to go in there and be seen as, quote, the big dog all the time, right? You know, you want to look as like you're the smartest person in the room, you're the best announcer in the room, you're the best whatever, right? Where's that going to get you? Yeah. You know, by by working with interior people. And what does that do? It makes you look bigger? No, you want to work with, like, top flight people that you know, that make you better. And hopefully you're good enough in what you're doing where you also make them better uh, because you're trying to put out the best broadcast possible. So I think you have to just sit there. Number one, I consider myself so lucky that I get to do the job. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky I get to work with the people I work with, the team I get to work with, everything like that. And, I, and something I realize every single game that I do and because of that, there's no need to sit there and go, oh, i got to be the smartest guy in the room. Well, number one, you and I both know that's not true. <laughs> so, okay. So you might as well take advantage of the smartest guy in the room and use him. 
How much you you mentioned too um, that, and I think you had said uh, when it when it came to talking quickly before the snap that that was one of the first times or one of the only times you ever really talk about the broadcast. How much do you and and Jack or you and Dick uh, talk about what you do? Um, just in terms of trying to get yourself on the same page and um, making sure you've got. I don't want to say product because that sounds crass, but the best product that you can get or how much of that has just been created over time because you guys have done this a lot together. You've felt each other out. Um, you've gotten to know each other as people and that translates onto the air. Well, the last part's really important, but you know what's interesting about this is that you can, there's certain elements in this. Let's just take this to a classroom. Okay, so I teach a broadcasting class every Sunday. So there are two things I really can't teach you how to do. Number one, I cannot guarantee you a perfect formula to get you a job. <laughs> and, and number two, I said, I can't tell you how to develop chemistry with anybody. I said, it either is there or it's not. I said, you may be working. So you may have perfect chemistry with your best friend. And you go out and you work with your best friend and the chemistry is perfect. Or you may go out there with your best friend, and for whatever reason, in a broadcasting setting, it doesn't work. I said, no, so they put a perfect stranger in there, and for whatever reason, you two have chemistry. I said, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So for me, the chemistry I have with Jack Ham is off the charts and has been since the very first game. The chemistry with Dick Girardi in basketball has been off the charts ever since the first game. And we never talk about the broadcast. Never. We just, in casual conversation, talk about, you know, let's talk about the scandal a little. What the heck's going on there? Or Jack will talk to me. He says, what's happening with this guy or that guy? We'll, we'll always just talk about just normal things that, that guys would sit around the table and talk about on a Friday night before before a game. That's, you know, that's what we do. Just you know, And we never talk about, hey, let's go in with this game plan on, on, the, on the broadcast. There's such trust uh, you know, in the booth that there's no need to do that because he trusts where I'm going to go. I trust where he's going to go. And the same thing with Dick Girardi. Now, Dick will tell you that <laughs> the first game that we did together was um, was a tournament in Milwaukee at the Bradley Center. And I had done a game at Indiana the day before, and I drove up to Milwaukee to do the game. And he said, hey, uh, he said, maybe we should talk about the broadcast. I said, sure. <laughs> So, we, so you know, we're, and Dick is uh, such an intelligent, laid-back guy. He says, so uh, how's this going to work? I said, well, I'll talk, and then you'll jump in, and you'll talk, and I'll talk, and then you'll talk some more. And then he, <laughs> says, he looks at me, and he says, that's legendary. <laughs> and he always tells everybody, he says, the legendary beginning. He always refers to that story, and that's exactly what we've done. Because there'll be times during the course of a basketball game where he'll, where he'll be talking, and so the guy goes slam dunk. Again, you just can't sit there and go, hey, that's my territory. There is no territory. There's two guys on the air doing the game together. There's no territory. Yeah, there's a specific job for everybody. But if you start out there and start marking down, hey, this is this is where I need to have it, it just botches the whole thing up in my opinion. Um, let's play off of that a little bit because uh, you had talked about the don't be afraid to work with someone who can't make you better, who who can, who can make you better. Um, and I read the article that had the life lessons in there. That was life lesson number four. Life lesson number three from your dad was not to worry about things you can't control. Uh, I guess that being that being one of them. Uh, how long did it take you as as a broadcaster in particular? Because um, there's a lot of things that are out of your hand. Um, to just be able to kind of hone in yeah. and focus on the things that are you and that you have control over. 
Yeah, and he was. Yeah, he had his own business. And so there are a lot of times where he'd look around and say, you know, I can't control that. And I think what it does is that don't worry about things you can't control. It keeps you on an even keel. Because if you start trying to, in your mind, try, I can't control this. Well, if you can't control it, then what are you worrying about it for? <laughs> go, go, to the, go to the next thing. I mean, work on things you can control. So what can I control? I can control my preparation every week. So I can control that. Um, getting information, putting together charts, things like that, making sure I'm as well prepared as possible. And you and I both know that of all the stuff you put on your chart or I put on my chart, we probably use one to two percent of it every week. Mm-hmm. But the one, to, but the one to two percent changes every week, so you don't know which one to two percent it is. So I mean, I can control that. I can control going to practice. I can control um, the questions I ask to James Franklin in a pregame show. Uh, you know, I can control for the most part of what I'm saying on the air. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll at the end of the first half, say to yourself, oh my goodness, i got to be better in the second half. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, so you just go with what you can control. If there's a technical glitch, I can't control that. I can't fix it. So why do I, why do I get upset about it? I can't get upset about that. I mean, the people that can fix it, I just have to have confidence that they'll fix it. You know, me, me getting mad about it. Oh, well, now what good does that do? <laughs> right? Because, well, if you're so smart, why don't you fix it? I can't. <laughs> so I don't, I don't worry about it. Jack, him, always kids all the time. So your heartbeat's always 45. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it, and I've, I've always taken that target. I watched how he handled things in his lifetime, and it always makes sense. That's one of those things we uh, we had a conversation last week on the I guess two weeks ago on the podcast about uh, broadcast superpowers um, and like everybody that is a broadcaster has that one thing that is their superpower so to speak. Um, I would think being able to just kind of block out things you can't control is probably up there as, as one of them. Either well, yeah, you have to uh, along the way because you know your job is to lock in and do the game. You know, you know when it's all said and done, you're trying to give the game the justice it, it deserves you're trying to do a really good job and be as prepared as possible and when the game's over it's said, boy i really enjoyed listening to that game and a big reason why is you enjoyed listening to the game probably is the great job the engineer did because they got the sound and they had a producer who ran a smooth broadcast saying hey it's got to be you know hey don't forget you got to read this card at this particular point a guy like jack can a sideline reporter by Derek Williams. We only have five people on our broadcasting that's what we have so you know and Everybody does just a great job uh, carrying me. They all have huge shoulders. So, I mean, uh, I, you know, there's trust in what everybody does. So if something happens that's a glitch or whatever, I completely trust they'll be able to fix it. And me looking over going, what is going on here? What does that do? Except <laughs> create more tension. So there's no need to have more tension. I want to ask you about your prep, um, because I was reading about you again, and uh, one of the things that really caught my eye was that you do prep in the spring for everything in the mm-hmm. fall. Yes. Um, take me through that, because that surprised me a little bit, uh, and I'm curious uh, how, and the, how and why that works for you. Well, maybe we take a perspective from a team, and this is for football and basketball. So at a time of the year that is the slowest time of the year for me, 
basketball season's over, spring football's over, and we have a short season baseball team here in State College. It's the St. Louis Cardinals affiliate. I do their games during the course of summer, but they don't start until you know Father's Day weekend. Sure. So I've got a little bit of time in April and in May to calmly sit down and say, okay, let's look at Ohio State. JT Bears is starting quarterback. Uh, let's see, how many 100-yard rushing games did he have last year? How many 200-yard passing games did he have last year? What's his new career high in passing in a game? What's his new career long? What's his new career high in rushing? What's his new career long run? Things like that, where I can start the season with everybody completely up to date from last season because I've already done the research and it's always on my chart. That way, when I get to the week of the game, let's take Indiana, which is this week, I can update everything Richard Lego has now done this season and add it into the career stuff I already had down. So his career high is 496 yards passing. Well, that hasn't changed this year. It's still his career high. So instead of, quote, wasting the time on the game, wait to go, okay, what's his career high again? I've already got it. Mm. And it's already sitting there. So I don't have to change that. He has nine career 200-yard passing games, one this season. So he has eight coming into the year. He's got one now, so he's got nine and one. So that's why not, how I'm able to do that. Now, do you have to add in somebody like a Morgan Ellison, for example? Yeah, I have to make sure he's added in there, true freshman now playing the tailback for Indiana. Now you go to the other side of the ball, uh, T-Gray Scales. T-Gray Scales has six career interceptions. He doesn't have any this year. In fact, Indiana doesn't have any, any interceptions this year. But he's got six career interceptions. I didn't have to change that on my chart when I brought it up this week. I had to put it in his tackles and his tackles for losses and his sacks for the season. But I didn't have to change the sixth number. It's right there, so I didn't have to waste my time to look it up again. I already had it. So if something happens in the game, it was already set to go. The same thing with basketball, which career high in points, which are career high in rebounds. How many double-figure games do you have in your career? How many double-figure rebound games? How many 20-point games do you have? And then when the season starts, okay, uh, pick a player, uh, you know, any, any player out there, and he's had five 20-point games in his career. Well, he's already got three this year, so now he's got eight and three. So I already had the other number to add in. So it just allows the prep in a, in a game week where, where life is more compressed to have already taken care of certain things, your height, your weight, your class, your hometown. I do all that in the spring. That way I've already got it ready and don't have to, quote, waste time in a game week trying to look it up and find it. What does it do from a familiarity standpoint? Because I would imagine um, there are weeks, and especially this happens when we get into conference play. You know, we've got Western Michigan this week. A lot of the guys are the same. I know them. I'm familiar. Memorizing yeah. numbers and information uh, is easier because it rolls over. Um, does that make it easier for you when you get to oh, the fall pleasure. and things are nuts that you've already seen everything and it's already kind of been in your brain for a couple of months? Yeah, no question. Well, no question. But, I mean, I don't sit there and, and look at it you know, until I, I get back to the, the week itself because I watch a lot of game tape. I mean, I was, I've was already watched a couple of games for Indiana already this week because I wanted to see it. I, I look at Peyton Ramsey, uh, you know, to see what Lego's done so far, a little bit on the defense as well. So I'll watch a lot of game tape. I'm at James Franklin, who, like Joe Paterno and Bill O'Brien, let me go to every practice, which makes it – incredible difference. Patrick Chambers in basketball, same thing, go to any practice I want, whenever I want. And that makes a big difference. But the idea, I'm not going to say anything, and then, but it's great background to make sure I am absolutely ready for the game. So I'm literally given every tool possible where if I foul up, 
it really is my fault. There's <laughs> <laughs> just no getting around it. There's, oh, I bought that up. Whose fault that? Well, let's just take a quick look in the mirror. And, uh, you know, and so I'm given every advantage in that way. So by watching the tape, it kind of refreshes me as to, okay, now let's see. Peyton Ramsey's number three. Ellison's now 26. Nick Hobbs is number one. Donovan Hale's number 10. Thomas is eight. Boy, Thomas, they use him really a lot around the goal line. Things that may come up on the pregame show, may come up, they, you know, I'll say to Jack Hanna, hey, Jack, they really use Thomas down to the down in the red zone a lot, and he'll take off from there to be smart. He's seen the same thing I, I have. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, for me, it works, and it keeps me ahead of the game because on game week, you can easily fall behind. Tell me about um, your process of getting to where you've been to. Um, and, and, again, this is a bigger picture question, um, but you're one of those guys that's you, – you've been in State College virtually your whole life, um, and mm-hmm. and – paid your dues in a lot of different ways. Um, and one of the things that's, I, I think, a lot of fun about you know doing this podcast is hearing the different ways that people kind of attacked and approached uh, how they got to where they got. Um, when you graduated from college, what was your, your kind of, I don't know, if you had laid out a plan then, where did you want it to get you and how did you think it would get you there? Um, and how has that compared with being able to put together of the variety of different things that you've done um, to kind of build up this, this portfolio of kind of being, you know, Mr. State College, so to speak? Well, let's see. Well, what I wanted to do is exactly what I'm doing now. I really did want to be the, the voice of Penn State football and basketball. Now, that's so much easier said than done. <laughs> but you have, you have to catch so many breaks along the way. I mean, I mean every day, you know... I start out, and my first year I'm doing high school football and lady line basketball right after I graduated from Penn State. Well, then Penn State has a football game at Pitt on Thanksgiving weekend in 1981. Well, because I was already doing women's basketball, they said, hey, can you fill in and do the radio network basketball broadcast? Because we can't get Fran Fisher and John Grant back. They're doing the football game. The basketball games right after that. Okay, so I catch a break and I get on the Penn State network in 1981 and doing play by play. And then I had to fill in for a Nebraska game. Well, the next year, Fran Fisher decides to retire. And so, hey, you already filled in a couple of games. Door opens up. Like, wow. So then in 1983, um, Bill Santos takes over as the play by play voice of Penn State football. John Grant whom I've worked with and have, you know, it was a great help to me in my career, uh, is the analyst. And they said, you know what, we really need a third guy. And, and John steps up. He says, well, Steve Jones does basketball. And all of a sudden the door opens there. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah. and all the other sports you do along the way. Look, there are a lot of ways that you, you have to be creative to pay bills. Let's <laughs> <I mean, laughs> be honest. Let's be honest about it. So you have to really kind of cobble together maybe a TV job here and a radio job there and so forth because you know, here's the electric bill, here's the phone bill, here's, here's the mortgage, here's, you know. You know, you know you mean, the kids are going to go to college, i got to pay for that too. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. So, so you go from there. And then, you know, and then people retired. Like Fran retired. And because Fran Fisher retired, it wasn't as if, okay, you know, well, he's out. No, he on his own retired, which then allowed a nice, smooth, natural transition. 
And look, you get, I got a huge break doing Penn State basketball early in my career. I got a huge break getting on the, the football network early in my career. I got a huge break getting the play-by-play job. I, I got a huge break getting Jack Cam as my analyst. I got a huge break getting Vic Girardi as my analyst. I mean, all these things are just along the way things I didn't have any control over. And you always have to have somebody that says, you know what, I think we'll go with that guy. Because mm. they could pick anybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I think we'll go with that guy. Well, for whatever reason, somebody said, we'll go with him. And, you know, now it's up to you once you get the opportunity to do everything you can to take advantage of the opportunity. Did you ever think to yourself um, along the way, you know, if, if, you know, your goal is to be the voice of Penn State, uh, I'm doing this the right way, or maybe I should try this, or kind of trust the process type deal. Um, What's it like in your head when, you know, you you said you have those days where you're trying to hobble enough together to pay those bills and saying, um, is is what I'm doing the right path? I I guess the the battle of self-doubt and questioning. You absolutely have those questions going through during that, quote, you know, waiting period. Uh, because, you know, nothing's handed to you. And my parents always taught me so much about, hey, look, work ethic is critical. Work ethic is critical. Loyalty is critical. And they talked about all these things to me growing up all the time. So I figured if I kept working hard and kept working hard, maybe somebody would notice. All right. But that doesn't mean along the way we sit back and say, am I going to get there? And you ask yourself, I don't know. I mean, you, you know now, you have to have confidence in your own ability. Mm. And you keep saying to yourself, hey, look, if they just give me one year, I can show them I can do this thing, <laughs> right? But, you know, again, it comes back to, will you know, will the opening happen? And will somebody say, you know what, let's give that guy a shot. And that's the part you have no control over. The part you can't have control over is how hard you work, how professional you are, and you know, whether you've done enough to, to impress somebody that, you know what, that person could do a competent job and you know but the waiting time to get there there's so many times you, you i would sit back and go i don't know <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see about this i mean it's because it wasn't like i didn't have to cut some other offers along the way but i thought if i left i wouldn't get a chance at this so yeah in my own way i really rolled the dice you know, is it almost better that it pays off that way too now because when you look at what you've been able to do and kind of what you do now um, I mean, you've got the job you wanted. You get to do baseball. You get to do a talk show. You get to teach. Um, you've kind of gotten this nice, nice. I don't want to use the word portfolio again, but you've put yourself in a spot where you get to do a lot of a, a little bit of a lot of things um, and well, get your hands in a lot I've, of different pots. I've been really lucky. Uh, look, I've been really lucky. I mean, this, or fortunate. Let's go with the word fortunate. I guess Ben Scully always used the word fortunate, so. He's exponentially better than I am and smarter, so I'll go with his word. Um, and I have been extremely fortunate. And there isn't a day that goes by. I'll be honest with you. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't remind myself how fortunate I am. I think that when you talk about the football, baseball, basketball component, which are the three primaries I do, I was talking with Eli Gold of Alabama back in February. Because Eli does a lot. He does football, basketball, and he does uh, baseball, softball on SEC Network. And at one point, I mean, Eli actually Racing, is yeah. a huge, he's a huge hockey guy. Yeah. He, he's a huge hockey guy. Right? Now, he doesn't do hockey anymore. He did hockey when, when uh, Birmingham was in the uh, WHA. 
but uh, but I said, I don't know about you. I said, but do you feel like doing different sports over the course it keeps you fresh? And he goes, absolutely. Mm. He says it, it keeps me fresh all the time. Where you just go one, and then you know you change gears and go to another. It, it keeps you, you know, thinking and changing gears and helps keep you fresh. And look, you got to be lucky to do this, fortunate to do this. I mean, you really there's six there's you know there's sixty five power five jobs. Do you have one of them? There's seven billion people in the world. Mm. I mean, how fortunate <laughs> do you have to be? I mean, you know, and I mean, look, there's 130 you know jobs in college football. You got you got one of them. You got one of them. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you're fortunate to be, to be doing what you're doing, and you're doing great work. And you've got a big game with Western Michigan because Western Michigan was in the dog on Cotton Bowl last year. <laughs> and Western Michigan and Western Michigan took USC to the wire this year. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I mean, you know, you're one of those 130 guys. You right there are one of the 130 guys doing this in a country of 300 million. I mean, 300 million. You're one of 130 guys. Right. You look what I'm saying. This isn't, you know, this isn't so bad. I mean, the line of people that want to trade places with you extends from State College to Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, I mean, if people want to change, and believe me, if you want to change, change, they would love to change jobs with you. You know, you may not be doing Penn State, but you're doing you're doing big time college football. People want to change places with you, so the line's going to be from where to, you are all the way out to Seattle. What's it? Uh... What's it like being in the the fortunate spot you're in too every day? And I mean that from the standpoint of, I mean, when when you walk into Beaver Stadium and there's a hundred thousand plus people jumping around for a game, um, what's that environment like? What does it sound like to you through a headset? Um, and, and do you ever kind of pinch yourself and think about where you're at? Every game, every game, regardless, I can see a little bit of Mount Nittany out of the broadcast booth. Uh, in between the south stands and the east stands, there's an opening. And every single game, at some point, I'll look out through that opening. I'll think, man, you are so lucky to be here. Every game. Every game. Because you can never take this for granted, ever. Um, it's interesting, when you have a headset on, it blocks up so, enough noise where, you know, you know it's loud, you know the environment's crazy. I think it's just the big game part of it. No, Big game with Indiana. Then you get a big game with Northwestern. Then you got Michigan coming in. Big game. Then you go to Ohio State. Big game. And it's just the fact that you have an opportunity to do so many big games along the way. And I think there's a greater appreciation here for everything because Penn State's had to come back from uh, from from the problems after riding high for so many years, where the frustration was, oh, they had a lousy year. They were ten and two. Okay, uh, you know, the lousy year for some people is four and eight. <laughs> okay, ten and two isn't so lousy. Uh, but Penn State's had to come back from that. I think last year when Penn State beat, for example, Ohio State, you could you could feel just the pure joy and jubilation in the stadium because after everything, people could let loose and be happy. And I think that's what you know what we're seeing and being in that stadium in that environment. You can you can feel that along the way, but you're like you talked at the very beginning of the interview about the last play with Iowa. You have to do everything. You know, I always call it controlled excitement. You have to be excited on, at certain moments, but at the same time, you have to be the coolest guy in the building, making sure you're saying the right thing at the right moment. 
Can you take me through those tough years and and being the voice sure. of Penn State and 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 you personally having to deal with that and 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 know that the teams are going to struggle on the field, but also certainly then being able to 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 deal with what's going on off the field and also be the person that a lot of people turn to still through all of that because they're all hearing your voice and almost kind of the, I don't want to say burden, but responsibility that comes along with that. Well, it's very hard. There's no question. It's very hard here. And look, I knew Jeff Turner for 32 years, so I know the quality of the man. Um, but what happened did happen. And then all of a sudden the sanctions came down. So now you have to be realistic about what you're watching out there. When they're telling you you have to cut back the 65 scholarships, you could see the depth just in practice change dramatically. And that's what being at practice every day makes a big difference because you can tell everybody the story of what's going on. And you can be realistic with them about what's going on. Uh, you've got 65 guys. Uh, then James Franklin is had 65 his first year in 2014. They played the Pinstripe Bowl with only 41 scholarship players available. <laughs> that was it. You know, and they won the thing. Right? Then they got back to 75, you can see the depth grow. And then they got back to 85, and you can see the depth really grow along the way. And so you're able to, to chronicle the story, and at least you have, you have the ability, because of access, and also because of experience, to at least accurately tell everybody why or why not something was happening. And that's the approach I figured I'd take, but it's just look to be straight with people and say, look, here's where they're good, here's where they're lacking. Nobody can go through this and do what they're doing. And to be honest with you, Penn State, to me, is one of only maybe eight to ten programs that could have survived what they survived and get back so quickly. What uh, what was it like working with Joe Paterno, um, as well? And and I just mean that from the standpoint of, sure. I mean, here's a guy that that knew football the way he knew it and had the experience the way he had it. And one of my favorite questions to ask guys that that have jobs that have worked with just these you know Mount Rushmore esque coaches, um, is how that you know we, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, working with people that make you better. Um, how and where did did working with him for the years you did make you better? As a broadcaster, well, number one, listening to him, you know what he said so often was such common sense. You know, you either get better or you get worse. You never stay the same. So the goal is to always get better. Well, that doesn't just apply to a football field. It applies to broadcasting. It applies to life. Uh, and he talked about all these. He always had all these little sayings. You know, take care of the little things. The big things will take care of themselves. Again, same thing. It applies not just to a game, but to life. And also, you know, I'd watch how I would observe how he'd handle a practice. How do you handle a practice after a loss? How do you handle a practice after a win? How do you handle um, uh, an injury? You know, how, how clever do you have to be at certain moments? Uh, he also had an instinct. That was great. You know what? I think we ought to run this play now. I mean, there's one season, for example, now because you eventually turn things over to coordinators in the course of your career, like you know Joe did. Every coach does that. There was one year where Joe called six plays all season, five of them went for touchdowns. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those because of the the instinct he had for the game. But he was such a, a great guy for me to deal with all the time. Thirty two years. The two of us never had one crossword, ever. Not one crossword in 32 years. 
And I had to deal with him a lot. And part of it was is that I really trusted him. And I think from his, his point, um, I think, you know, he trusted me. And loyalty was a very important part to Joe. And I was always, I was always, as I mentioned earlier, my parents were big on loyalty. Well, he was an easy person to be loyal to, and he was loyal to me. Uh, and that, I think, made a big difference along the way. He also knew that when I interviewed him, and this is a standard practice I've had with every coach, whether it's James Franklin, Bill O'Brien, Tom Bradley, Joe Paterno, the five basketball coaches, including Patrick Chambers now. When I interview them, they understand that I'm asking them questions. I'm not questioning them. They know I, I understand that they know more about their sport and what they do than I do. Uh, if they, you know, and then they'd come back and if they wanted to know something about what I do broadcasting wise, they'd be asking, asking questions. So I ask questions. I don't question them. And I think that always made a big difference in the relationship. And it's just, um, I also knew if there's something I ever needed along the way, I could go to Joe and talk to him about it. And he'd give me great advice as to where I was going to go. I was always, always had his door open for that. And if there was something he needed for me, he knew he could call me and I'd take care of it. And that's, that's just the way I think that's what you want to have when you're working with somebody. And after a while, even though you do know that, like, who, oh, you know, that's, that's Bobby Bowden. Ooh, that's Joe Paterno. That's Bear Bryant. Right. It does get to a point where, hey, Joe, how you doing? It really does. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, Joe, how you doing? I mean, it does. It gets to that point where that kind of that goes away. Even though you, even though you're always aware of it, you're always aware of it. But you know, after 32 years, it, it things like that, it goes away. Believe me. They they just become people. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. You know, hey, you know, how's Sue doing? How are the kids doing? Hey, you know, I heard, you know, what, you know, heard something happened with with uh, one of Mary Kay's kids. How are they doing? You know, or he said to me, hey, Steve, you know, how's Jen doing? You know, things like that. Best moment at uh at Penn State. Best moment you've been able to call when you. I mean, that's that's hard to whittle them down, but um, are <laughs> are, are there a couple that say to you like, you know, we talked about you know being fortunate, where you take a look back and be like, God, I was fortunate to be a part of that one. You know how much time you have. Um, um, well, it's really how much time I you mean, have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, football-wise, obviously, I was part of the broadcast team in '86 when they won the national championship, and you know they had so many big games along the way. You know, big win over Notre Dame, a big you know a big win against Maryland. I mean, the, the, and then in my play-by-play time. Joe won his 324th game to surpass Bear Bryant. He won his 400th game. He won his 409th game. I've done a triple overtime Orange Bowl between Penn State and Florida State. The 2005 game with Ohio State in Beaver Stadium was incredibly electric. The 2008 game at Ohio State was like that. And the 2016 game with Ohio State was like that. Doing the Big Ten Championship game this past year was was an incredible moment that Penn State got there, fell behind, won it. And those are all things along the way that, that stick out to me as as moment. Larry Johnson going over two thousand yards in a season, uh, which had never and still has never happened here at Penn State. It's the only time it's ever happened. You know, having a great moment like that happen for an individual and seeing how the stadium was on that November day when he went over two thousand yards in a season. Uh, 
basketball-wise, you know, the NCAA tournament games. Penn State beat North Carolina one year in the NCAA tournament. They beat UCLA another year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so they picked up big ones like that. Winning the NIT at Madison Square Garden in 2009 was another big moment in the, in the for the basketball program. So, I mean, you know, along the way, if you ask Don Fisher or Matt LaPay or Paul Keels or Jerry Dolphin, I mean, who are all gold standard guys, they got a list a mile long of accomplishments like that. And I can tell you right now, those guys I just mentioned probably call them with complete perfection. Mm. Um, how do people uh, how do people follow you or uh, or get in touch with you on social media? Any of those things uh, if they if they want if they want more Steve Jones in their life? I am not I am not the greatest social media person on the planet. I actually do. Have- I do have I do have a Facebook page which I never <laughs> post, but I was told years ago, and believe it or not, it was by Jay Paterno. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he said he said Steve, get your own Facebook page. I said, Jay, why do I want to do that? He says, do this for the domain. He says, you don't want somebody creating a Facebook page and like posting all this stuff, and it's not you. <laughs> Okay, so I did that. So people post all over my Facebook left and right. I never post anything. <laughs> I have a Twitter account at Steve Jones PSU. I never posted anything on it. <laughs> now, now, I do have somebody that's a, a producer for the talk shows I do, and they'll put on there, hey, don't forget, coming up today, we're going to have on the show. And, you know, Brad Nessler, like, for example, I've got Brad Nessler on my show next week. You know, Brad Nessler's going to be on Tuesday show with it. Did they do that? <laughs> I don't do any of that. So I am a, um, I'm the social media desert. <laughs> and, and in this era of social media, which is so, so important, it really is. I know it is. I mean, talk to my students about how important it is. <laughs> and I talk on my show about how important it is. I am just... Uh, um, I'm a big zero on it. <laughs> Honestly, you're that. probably you're probably better for it. It's a rabbit hole that you can never climb out of. So, <laughs> yeah, I understand that, but <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, when I got an iPhone a few years ago, <laughs> people said to me, "Welcome to the 21st century." <laughs> how does how does it open? I keep trying to flip it, and nothing happens. Right, Matt Millen has a flip phone. <laughs> hey, more power to him. Matt Millen at the flip phone. He's very proud of it, too. Uh, but I, I just haven't had any inclination to go that direction. Now, I do know it's important. It's not that I don't, but I just never have. And there's a feeling of inner peace. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. One bit at all. <laughs> Well, um, because I've had, people, I've had people say, you could tweet before the game, hey, this guy's not warming up, that guy's not warming up. And I'd say, well, isn't that what the pregame show's for? Yeah, I was like, yeah, just turn on the radio. <laughs> so, Don't reduce me to a tweeter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Top things off today by going back to almost the beginning of that conversation. Many thanks again, by the way, to Steve for, for taking the time last week to sit down and do this podcast and, and have this discussion But I'll go back to the beginning of the interview, and I'll go back to the very beginning of the podcast today as well and talk about the fact that, listen, life, first and foremost, is so much easier. But this business and what we do, both in the booth and out of the booth, 
becomes a heck of a lot easier when you worry about controlling the things you can control. And if there's one thing you take away from this podcast, um, be it the business side of broadcasting or the physical in-game side of broadcasting, um, I guess let it be the fact that you can become so much better by just controlling the things you can control. If your team's down 50-3, to you can't control that. Control what you can control and uh, put forward the best Ball State Western Michigan football game you can, like we tried to do last week. Um, Or whatever it is in your life, control what you can control. And the other one that I I really loved, and this is just these these two principles we talked about, is don't be afraid to work with people who make you better. Um, and, And I think we all, in some way, shape, or form, at some point in our careers, have had that where you work with somebody, um, and like Steve said, it like you have that that shy away, like, uh, like you know, al- always always push yourself. And if somebody's going to push you, let them push you. Um, don't ever shy away from from uh, people that are great and people that uh, do good work and people that then force you to rise to that occasion and um, force you to make yourself better. And then conversely, uh, try to return that favor and always try to make uh, those you're working with better around you. Uh, I think if you put those two things to work, I think if we all put those two things to work, uh, we, we, we can all see some pretty tremendous results when it comes to sports broadcasting. In the meantime, that puts a wrap on this edition of Play by Playcast. We will take a timeout for seven days. Come back your way next Friday morning right here on iTunes and or Stitcher. Again, you can rate the podcast, leave a review, follow us on Twitter as well, at PXPCast or myself at J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, at Joel Godet. We'd love to hear from you until next week. By the way, if you haven't heard our episode with Kevin Brown from last week, please do go take a listen to it because it is an hour of hilarity. Uh, We talk about lawn gnome interviews and Hamilton and running 40-yard dashes in suits on television. So lots of good stuff last week with Kevin Brown, uh, Mick Gillespie before him, and the entire back catalog all the way back to episode one, Carter Blackburn, is available to you. So do go check those out uh, if you get an opportunity and you are new to the pod. Until next Friday, we say so long. It's Play by Playcast, and we're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.